back to the Monster Baby Podcast. My name is Lisa Rowland. I'm Ted DeMaison, and we are your co-hosts for a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. This is episode part two of an interview with Dan O'Connor about his new book, Ensemble. He co-authored it with Jeff Katzman, and we started this conversation in the last episode. So if you're joining us now, you may want to skip back one to the last episode and listen to the first part of it. If you did listen to that, or if you just wanted to start here, totally fine. We're going to get into it. But uh, do know that if you want to order a copy of Dan's book, you can get a big discount, 35%, by going to NorthAtlanticBooks.com and typing in the code MONSTERBABY35. Uh, and that discount will expire September 30th of 2021. Uh, well worth your money, people. It's a good book. But um, let's get back into the conversation with Dan. Lots to, lots to enjoy there. We loved our conversation with him, so uh, we hope you'll enjoy it too. Here we go. I am wondering if you have any fun games that we could play from the book. I know there's a couple in the book, but I'm wondering if there's any that are that are speaking to you, a little improv exercise that gets to this notion of ensemble that we could play together for our listeners. Sure. This is a Joe McGinley game. Um, it's kind of like a Keith Johnstone game. And what it is, is, Ted, I'm playing you in a movie and so, but the pronouns, I'm going to ask you about your life, but, but your pronoun is you and my pronoun is me. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I would say to you, what was I like when I was 17? Mm, that's okay. So when you were 17, uh, you were really curious and um, with this sort of unusual guy in the class who really liked school and really liked to learn and got a lot of attention from the teachers as a result and got a lot of sideways glances from your classmates as a result. Uh, did I have a best friend? And if so, what were they like? Well, at 17, um, no, you had kind of a circle of friends, most of whom were girls. You had a couple guy friends, one in the class before you and one in the class behind you, but no guy friends in your own class. Uh, you did have a girlfriend though, who was kind of the center of your, of your focus. Uh, why did I like her? What was, what was, what about her was attractive to me? <laughs> well, for one, her mother was an amazing Italian cook. And so every day after school, you got these great snacks, <laughs> but she was really sweet and she was cute. And uh, you guys really enjoyed spending time together. What did I do on the weekends? Did I, did I have any hobbies? What, did, what was I up to on the weekends? Uh, well, you were kind of a nerd, so you would study a lot, but uh, you'd go down to the park and play basketball. Uh, you'd walk down the street, play basketball with your buddies. And um, sometimes you'd go up to, to Boston to see your dad. And um, uh, well, actually you and your girlfriend had the unusual thing of having bought season tickets to the Trinity Repertory Theater Company in Providence. So you would make the, you know, the big drive from Warwick up to Providence for 15 minutes to go to the theater. So sometimes you did that on the weekend too. Did I have, uh, this is the last question. Did I have a, a thing that I really wanted to be at 17? What did I, what did I hope to become at 17? Hmm. 
Well, when you were eight, you wanted to become an architect. At 17, I think you just wanted to go to college and, and keep learning. I don't think you were thinking about, about what you were going to be when you were a, a real adult. I think you were just, you had your eye on college and were psyched for that next step. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll end it there. So that game, uh, we've played that in almost every, you know, book tour bookshop that we've gone to virtually. Mm. Um, and, uh, well, actually, you know what, before I say anything about it, uh, I want to ask you and Lisa, what you thought, uh, doing it and listening to it. I, the, there's something really magical. I mean, there's something that really changes things with the pronoun shift saying, all right, what was I, what was I like? Oh, you were like this, like in, in a way I, I, I'm interested, Ted, in your experience, but for me, it feels like it, it's like you're building a profile of a character who is you, but like calling it, oh, you were like this, maybe unlocks an ability to describe it in a way that it feels that it, that is truthier or less vulnerable or something somehow, instead of being like, what were you like as a kid? It can feel sort of like, oh God, now I need to like bear my, you know, <laughs> like bear, bear myself to you. But it's like, oh, we're playing this game and we're imagining you were me. So let me tell you who you were. And that feels, there's something very compelling about that shift. One of the things that I found in doing that exercise, this is pointing to what you were just saying, Lisa, is that I felt like I was responsible for caretaking this role. Like, oh, I want to make sure Dan really knows what to do. And I, it's almost caretaking my own story, I guess. Um, it also just felt in a very pure sense, affirming. I felt like you were, you weren't doing anything but asking me questions, but I felt like you were accepting me. Maybe that there was some of the stuff you were doing non-verbally as you were listening, you weren't rolling your eyes, I guess, but that you were, you were interested in who I was and that, that given this chance to share like, Oh, I feel a little elevated as a result. Yeah, a little, little status bump. I think um, that first off, that's terrific feedback. That's that that all is part of the the pie. It goes back to empathy and compassion. Um, there is a there is a vulnerability that's created when people see each other. This is a maybe a quicker way to to get to a place because you're less vulnerable because you're talking about yourself in this other pronoun. And just like with all good narrative, there's a, you know, oxytocin is created and you are like, oh, I, I want to hear more. You know, I, I want to know more about, you know, going to Trinity Rep and, and uh, having Italian food after school and, and things like that. Um, so, so those, those, ways of creating ensemble because now it's i mean you know one thing i actually haven't talked about this at all but when we started when we started bats rebecca stockley came down to san francisco and she did two weekend workshops with us so she did a saturday sunday i think she i think she went back up to seattle and came back did saturday sunday and then we did our first public performance after four days of doing theater sports and it was sold out. My mom couldn't get in. Uh, it was, we, we filled up 25 NS, the big space at 25 NS in San Francisco. And we started doing uh, weekend workshops in LA. We didn't do two weekends, but we do one weekend. So people would be together from 
10 to five, both days, they'd have lunch together. Um, Ellen Idelson, who was my partner at the time, she would have bagels and orange juice and coffee in the morning. So people would kind of shyly come over and spread cream cheese and kind of check everyone else out. But, but it gave a moment of, you know, we're, we're having a, a bit of a meal, we're talking, and then we would proceed to download as much of theater sports as we could in two days. And at the end of the two days, you were in the company. Wow. <laughs> now, that was great. How things have changed. Yes, yes. Now it's 20 years and, uh, and a hernia <laughs> surgery. Uh, no. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so what, but what happened was those people who spent that compressed amount of time together and had, you know, a couple of snacks and a couple of lunches and probably went out for drinks on the on the Saturday night, maybe the Sunday night as well. So they were together all weekend. There are marriages that came out of that. There are longstanding 30-year relationships that came out of that. Um, there's a group of people who've known each other and they relate because they were in the same weekend workshop with each other. We didn't know that at the time that that would be like taking a bunch of coal and compressing it into beautiful diamonds of friendship. But mm -hmm. it did. And, and I think that that goes towards th that, that that's what we're trying to create out in the real world is how do we get groups of people to see each other? Because we're all, you know, we're all going through the same shit. Some of us are obviously much more privileged and have much more, many more resources than others. But we, we tend to not see each other well because we're too obsessed with our own stuff. And I, I realize that's general, generalizing, but, but I, I would love, I'd love to get the world in a weekend workshop. You know, I think like the, like the theater companies in, in Brooklyn and, and in Portland, and I'm sure there's other people who are doing it, that makes a difference. There is, we mentioned them, uh, the Lichtenthalers, uh, they're a married couple, they're both scientists, and they, I don't know, Lisa, if you may have met them, they were around bats a little bit because they worked at San Quentin teaching improv. Amazing. And they had a story of a white guy in the workshop, you know, initially there was, there's tension because you're in San Quentin. And weeks into it, they were, they were going to do a show at the end of it or a couple of shows at the end of it. And this guy shared this thing at the, at, at the end of it, but midway through or something like that, or, or when he was inviting other white guys to come to the show, he, he, he got asked by one of the white guys, well, how many other white guys are in the show? And he said, oh, there's a few, there's a few other white guys in the show. And uh, so the next time he went back to class, he realized, no, the whole time he's been taking it, he was the only white guy in, in the ensemble. He was it. And the Lichtenthalers uh, were just expressing, you know, their minds were blown that this guy had so forgotten about that sort of entrenched racist, you know, uh, cohorts that he had forgot that he was the only mm -hmm. white guy in the group. So the, it is a transformational thing when you choose to practice 
improvisation in your life. That's my t-shirt. You know, that, 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 that we can understand each other better if we are genuinely curious rather than just talking out our ass. I think that's a scientific term. I feel like your book is sort of like, it's like, well, we can't all get into a weekend workshop with each other. So these are like hacks. It's like, okay, well, these are the things that you would be doing if you had done, if you had done that. So practice these things. And it, it is more likely to move you toward the kind of connection you might have with somebody if you spent compressed time with them. Yes. And I, and I think that's a great point, Lisa, that one of the things, if people are thinking about getting the book, is that at the end of every book, uh, Jeff and I, at the end of every chapter, Jeff and I put a list of takeaways, basically, you know, for those people who don't want to read the whole chapter, there's a distillation of the takeaways. And then there's also stuff to try to practice ensembling. So, uh, and then at the very end of the book, we, we give a little test. I think Jeff and I scored, I can't remember what we scored. It wasn't fantastic, but it was basically the ensemble scale of, you know, do you all already practice some of the things that we're, um, we're espousing uh, to do to ensemble? Yeah, it's a, it, it, in that sense, you could just fly, fly through it and look at the end of every chapter to, to get the sort of Evelyn Wood speed reading version. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do think the stories, and for those people who are thinking about buying the book, the we take the idea of an improv class as a way to make the concepts more digestible to people who are not in improv class. So we're not asking anybody, you know, initially people are like, well, wait a minute, I'm not an improviser. I don't want to perform. I, I don't want anything to do with that. And we're like, we had to sort of say to a number of folks, and then we ended up writing in the book, no, it's not about performative improv. It's not about improv for entertainment. It's not about being on whose lines it anyway, or, or doing theater sports. It's about, these are very simple skills that when you practice them, will connect you better to to your various ensembles. And without sounding, I think, too pretentious, I think it also connects you to yourself a little bit. Um, play, play is a marvelous educator. Uh, play is a marvelous delivery system for awareness. You, you both uh, have been artistic directors at improvisational theater companies. So Dan at Impro in Los Angeles, Lisa at Bass in San Francisco, Dan for a really long time, Lisa for a shorter window recently. And yet- It you... felt like a really long time. <laughs> the that... year that I was the artistic right. director felt like a very, very long time. Compressed window. And so you, but you also, I should say, and also Lisa, you have been a part of the Bats ensemble for a long time right for many yeah, years that's right and so you both were part of these exquisite ensembles and as an improv fan i have so enjoyed watching each of those companies do their thing because you guys get on stage it's like this synchronization uh, synchrony whatever the right word is <laughs> harmony you guys get up and you're like you're locked in together and with the reckoning of the past year and a half around issues of race and inclusion and diversity, both companies have now welcomed in a huge 
relatively huge number of people of color and or just new people um, and have shaken up those ensembles. And I'm, I'm really curious to hear about how you are, either you or the people in your companies are consciously integrating the new people into ensemble. How do you, how do you bring new people into an, an established ensemble, especially when the viewpoints are so different? Well, I'm, I'm now sitting on what's called the transition committee for our company uh, um, and full transparency. I, when I stepped down after 30 plus years, um, I think we're 33 years old and I probably was the AD for 30 of them or co-AD. Um, and I've been the executive director for the last 10 years. And that, that has also been um, a stone to carry. The, when I stepped down, I really needed a break. So I, um, I knew I, I was part of um, an, a, the talking about who are we going to invite in? Why are we inviting these people in? What, what role do we, you know, what are we doing? And it was really thought that rather than inviting a group into an ensemble that existed, that the goal would be to invite people to make a new ensemble. Mm. So we talk about the old ensemble, most, mostly as a cautionary tale with regards to meetings and things like that, uh, because we, we were very, the old ensemble was a very slow moving bureaucratic nightmare. Because when a group of artists are in charge of an institution, it is, as Lisa will tell you, it is really challenging at times, especially when you're in leadership. And so I took five months, I went cold turkey and was not really part of anything. I serve on the board of directors, but I, aside from that, I, I wasn't part of it. And in the last month, I've been part of the transition committee, which is about, you know, setting up guidelines and uh, looking at how the ensemble can determine its leadership and what that leadership looks like and how does the ensemble function. So mm. it's really, it's a, it's taking, it's really starting at the very beginning of building a theater company in a lot of ways. And, and so to answer your question, Ted, what we have done is to say to all the new people, you are just as there's no there's no hierarchy. In fact, we purposefully, I think we purposefully, we invited in more than our number. So the the percentage wise, the new folks are actually more than the old folks. And and um, and as we're developing things, we're not holding on to legacy uh, detritus. Mm. We have we have a terrific legacy of art that we now are looking at from dramaturgical and, you know, um, how do you do Tennessee Williams in 2021? And how do you do that with a, an ensemble of, of white and BIPOC uh, diverse casts? Mm -hmm. um, and what does that look like? And how do we take care of everybody? And, and it's not, um, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's really giving everybody power and everything transparency. Mm -hmm. um, because we invited these folks in because they are um, 
individual artists and they're going to bring something to the table. There's a certain, oh, I can't wait to play with you because we, mm-hmm. we haven't been in the same room yet. Um, but it's a, it is a, it's a diverse group of people, not only in terms of ethnic identity, um, it's also in terms of experience and, um, uh, and point of view and geography and education. And um, so it's, it's very, very exciting. But my what, uh, and this is a long ass answer. My <laughs> my my goal with the ensemble is to be part of it, hmm. and not to. Uh, and I talked to Lisa about this over our our year of uh, AD to AD conversations. My goal is to obviously I want to participate and I want to I want to help. But I also would love the idea of just showing up and co- going to rehearsal and rehearsing a show and doing a show and celebrating the show and not having to ever look at a spreadsheet right. or, or be on stage and be thinking about who, how the techs are doing the show or mm-hmm. any, any of that stuff. I want to be an artist and... Um, uh, so that's a long ass answer. How great to let all that go. Yeah, I can imagine it's got to be tough to let to let go of all your ways of doing things. I mean, I love the the what you said about wanting to be part of a new ensemble that it's a new thing, and yet I just I think of like all those neural pathways of like this is the way we do things. This is the way we do things. This is how we connect. How do you honor those and the and the skill of that? without just reproducing, well, this is how we did it as a white ensemble or mostly white ensemble. And now we're just going to reproduce that and try to impose it on you all. No, 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 we're doing something different, but to let go of things that have worked, maybe they're not appropriate anymore. Uh, It's fascinating, fascinating to try to reconstruct, reconstruct all those neural highways. Yes. And to really, really surrender any agenda that I have. And I'm sure there's going to be times where I go, hey, we tried that for a decade once and it didn't work. Uh, there's going to be things like that. But this is a new group of people and a new new ensemble with regards to how everybody creates and relates. So there's going to be maybe that thing that we tried in you know 1993 will work now because it's a different people and the leadership is different. One thing that I'm very aware of is that leadership is about the moment uh, for me, I think. And I think that right now, new, new leadership is needed and wanted. And that's exciting. It's exciting to be, to be part of this process. Hmm. It's so great to hear how you're talking about doing that. And the idea of a transition committee that actually doesn't doesn't that looks at the how of like okay how how are we going to ensemble and how and how can this ensemble take care of itself going forward and is such a I I love that one of the things that struck me about the way that we did it was invited a group of improvisers to join us and those invitations were accepted and one of the things that I 
that we did was was make sure one of my intentions was make sure that it's a big enough group that it's not simply a process of assimilation right where it's like oh we'd love to invite this person in and they're they are a person uh joining a a a group with a lot of entrenched history and ways of doing things and therefore there's no choice but to just become a part of the beast right as it is but if we can bring if we can if we can sort of welcome enough new energy experiences, ideas, yeah, identities, approaches, and that it can be a like a big enough a big enough shift in weight that it actually changes the course, it changes the conversation. It's not, and there's strength in numbers. So if there's a cohort, like Dan was saying, a cohort, uh, so much less likely, yeah, then, then there's strength there, and that it's there. I think that that energy is less likely to just be subsumed by the by the beast, by the, by the slow moving ship moving in this direction. And this idea of apart and apart, keep coming back to that is one of the things is like, instead of put effort into, into, into supporting the idea that this is a cohort and allowing that to be its own class. And, and that like, there was a, there's, there was a name, right? Like they were called the sensational six and it was like, yeah, like, and there's this identity Mm. there and we come to them for help, for 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 leadership opportunities and help to make things happen and we're looking at ways to make to make leadership more diffuse so it's not like this person's idea it makes makes the makes the decisions with all of the ways that they're tied into this organization for all of their years or lack of years or whatever so there's a a, a number of things that are going on right now i only recently left that post uh, at the end of my maternity leave, realizing that it is a fool's errand to think I could solo parent a baby and also be the artistic director of Bats Improv. And so th- th- that that was part of it. And I'm excited to be a part of the conversations that say, okay, so then what is the next, what is the next iteration of this leadership? Mm. The next, yeah, the, the next iteration of this role that, that responds to the moment we're in and responds to this idea that we are a new ensemble mm-hmm. now. And that it's not just, we don't just do things the way that we've always done them. It's like, but this is a whole new, it's a whole new constellation of mm-hmm. factors and elements and people. And we want, and, and so a big part of that is this awareness that we started the conversation with of we know how we have been. And we know that it's our job to let, to unscript that to unscript bats and to let that, to let the story of how it goes, let that go and how, and how it needs to be so that we can, so we can build mm-hmm. something new that responds to where we are. And to keep coming back with that conscious intention too. I, I mean, I heard that both what both of you were saying, like, I'm going to choose to be a part of this group and hopefully everybody else who's been invited or is coming in or has been here before is going to keep re-choosing to come in. I, there was a, um, I don't remember where I read it. I don't know. It's such a long time ago that I heard this image, but it stuck with me. It was probably in some philosophy class, but the idea of you have a red-sided die, a six-sided die that's red. And if you change one of the sides to blue, you say, okay, well, it's still a red die, but it's just got a blue side. But like at one point, if you change another side to blue, does it become something actually different? It's no longer a red-sided die. It's it's just a different thing. And I hear that with both of your companies of like, well, it's not, we're not just bringing the new people into impro. It's something, it's a different beast now. It's not impro. We got it's, it's impro new or something, you know, 
that uh, enough of the sides of the die have changed that it's no longer a red-sided die. It's a lovely visual. Mm -hmm. It's a great visual. In the past, I think um, we had, when we in invited somebody to join, they knew us pretty well. They had guested with us a bunch or they were improv pros that we knew very well. Um, and, and we also subscribed to the Moscow Arts School, which was you had to be doing narrative improvisation for 10 years before you, you would get in the mix. And for the most part, that was the case. And it's one of the reasons why we had um, institutional failure around that is because there were people who felt like I should be part of that or what have you. And, and the transparency piece is important because I don't think we were clear in saying we're not Second City, we're not the Groundlings where you boom, 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 boom. And then you're, that's the next progress. We were never like that, but we didn't make it clear enough. So it, it created a lot of resentment and issues mm -hmm. and stuff, which hopefully we're past. But the, the cool thing, one of the, there's a myriad of cool things with the new folks. One of the things is that some of them have no idea who we are in a way. They, they don't have any sort of uh, institutional memory of impro theater. And some of them have never seen impro theater shows. So there are artists who have created work. Uh, there are a few who have, and we've done this before, we've invited people to guest with us who, were, who had no improv experience. We never asked them to join the company, but we asked them to guest with us because we knew they were terrific actors. So it's anyway, the, the point is that the ensemble has a, it's been created with all of these different parts. So it's not a Pontiac, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not a Mustang. It's this other thing. And we don't know if it flies or if it goes on water. We have no idea what it's going to do. We know there won't be a script. And maybe at some point we'll start doing scripted material, who knows? But the frame has been destroyed mm. in a lot of ways. And it's very exciting. So, yeah. So, so I, so I don't know. I also am really, as I'm sure Lisa feels uh, the same. Uh, I, I really am excited to do other things, to, to look at other ensembles. I did my first live improv show last week here in Charleston. Yeah. It was two years. How was it? How was it? How did it feel? It felt fantastic. I stayed backstage with a mask on until wait, Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's where, uh, 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 we are right now. I didn't know if that was an orange County suburb or something. No, no, no. Um, cause I don't think there's not, there's, there are, there is live theater in LA, but it's outside. Um, this was an indoor venue that was pretty full and, I think half the audience was masked. So, but, but the actors were all masked backstage and then we went out and did the show together and nobody touched each other, <laughs> but, but it was, it was thrilling. It was thrilling to do something else and be just a player in somebody else's circus, you know? That, I, I realized that I've, ne I've never been a part of bats without being a part of running bats. 
like I was on staff for nine years. I was on the board for six years and I left the board and I was on, and I was the AD. And I'm like, oh my God, the idea that my only role is to respond to availability polls and to respond and like show up when it's the rehearsal and then leave. <laughs> Other people are making the decision. It's like, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the idea of just being an artist, that's dreamy. It's so cool to hear you guys speak of this. I mean, as individuals, but also because you're in this parallel zone of moving out of this artistic director role. But so often in our culture, everybody's like aspiring to be the leader. Everybody aspires to have some sort of power directorship and to aspire to be a good ensemble member. I just think that there's something so beautiful about that. We like we don't need as many leaders. We need many more great followers and participants. And so like everybody steps in and holds their weight, carries that comes in with that strong self that we were talking about earlier and listens well and contributes. And like, I, I, I want more people to aspire to being that great ensemble member without having to be above or, or below or, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to be, I'm excited to be a member of the ensemble that, that I, came the kind that I came to really value as a leader. Like I'm excited to like respond quickly and be, you know, like, and, and show up in the ways that I'm like, oh man, this makes my life easier when folks show up in this way. I'm like, oh, I have the power to do that for people. I have the power to show up in a way that is supportive and active and vocally, uh, yeah, built ensembling. So, so one of the things the transition committee was talking about the other day was, and this cult, historically, we have not been an organization where people send the got, got it email. You know, the, just, just like, hey, acknowledging that I read your email. That has not been um, historically what the majority has done. And one of the things that came up what, with, the, with the transition committee, which has new folks on it, was, hey, we want to we wanna, we wanna be able to go, got it. So that there, it feels like everybody is in the ensemble and participating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that, Lisa. I want to be part of the ensemble that I would have liked to have dealt with as the AD. Yeah. Yeah, I think ditto. I think- Those behaviors that I came to so value, I'm like, oh, I can I can show up with those. That's a, what a, what a, it's a good guide. It's a good guiding light. Yeah. I, you know, I think that if you think about improvisation, theatrical improvisation, the idea that we all have agency on stage because we are the author, director, performer all at the same time. And one of the things that I think separates uh, beginning improvisers from um, more experienced improvisers is that Delta or that Rubicon yeah. Um, Delta's, Delta's changed its meaning. Yes. It, th that Rubicon of crossing over and realizing that you have agency. Um, because beginning improvisers like get hooked on the fascism of yes and and feel like, no, I have to say yes. That's the rule. And then they send an email after the class going, you made me do that. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and then the, the teacher, the other performer going, well, Let's look at that. Could you have done this? Could you have done that? Yeah, you could have. You could have stopped the whole class. And when you when you cross over and you realize, oh, 
I'm in charge of my art. I'm in charge of this. Now, obviously, if something's evasive uh, or attacking or or physical, uh, God forbid, um, then that's that becomes a different issue. But 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 I I really feel like part of at least my matriculation as a as an improviser was understanding the leadership that everybody has on stage. Everybody is a leader. That, that's the long-winded point, is that everybody is a leader on stage. Once, once the show starts, even though at one point I think I had four titles, uh, I'm just a performer. I'm just an improviser. And I have to let go of a lot of that stuff. And now that'll be much easier to do. But, but I feel like leadership among artists is collaborative. I always felt like I was a collaborative leader. I want to I want to follow a collaborative leader. I want to follow somebody who really their agenda is to listen and I because I, I always felt my my personal thing as far as the AD went was to take the desires of the company and make them flesh. Mm. And and that's one of the things I think probably we'll be asking ourselves now is what do, what do we want? What are our intentions? There's going to be different voices and different things, but together we're going to collaborate and create something new. And me. Hmm. Hopefully. Beautiful. It's such a, such a cool opportunity. And, and you, a neat way for you to transition your legacy. I mean, you've made such an impact on, on that organization and on the theater community in LA. And, you know, so I, I'm excited to see what comes next for you. And the same thing with you, Lisa, like, okay, you've made such an impact on bats and what's going to happen now. And, and in what ways will your expression come out through bats or through some other venue or group, or it's kind of, it's, it's a cool moment. We are, we are coming to the end of our conversation, Dan. And so I'm wondering if there's anything, um, you know, we've been talking about, uh, ensemble welcoming in new people uh, in this second part of the our conversation and and your role as a leader like is there anything that you want to tie that to with the book to sort of wrap up or if you want to leave our listeners with with some thoughts to march forward into their lives as as ensemble members you know what's the is there a, a little bow we can put on this thing well um i've said this in a couple of a couple of book uh, signing things, well, ironically, we don't sign anything, is that the, the guidelines of, of narrative improvisation are make your partner look good, serve the story, say yes and to each other's ideas, and the caveat being to, to acknowledge, not to literally say yes, but to acknowledge and build on someone's ideas, make positive choices, and actively listen to each other. And if you take those same skills and apply them to your life offstage, you are engaged, compassionate, empathetic, and supportive people. And it's all the traits of being a good human. So I, I think improv for the power of good, improv for humanity. I really think those, those aspects of being a good improviser are the same traits of being a good human. Hmm. And do those together with other people, and you've got an ensemble. Yeah, and and joy, joy is created. Mm. I think one of our mission statements 
Um, at one point, one of the rough mission statements a while back, what I think joy was mentioned twice because that's in that it, as far as theatrical improvisation goes and, and teaching improvisation is you want to bring joy to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also experience the joy of bringing joy to 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 other to other people, not just you experiencing it, but what a gift it is to be able to to do that. And um, and it's hmm. it's very needed. So the joy of bringing joy. That's what we call it's a huge. win-win. Love that. I Everybody love that. wins. <laughs> you get to be joyful. That joy is infectious. You get to bring joy to other people. And then you get to enjoy that that gift. Everybody, yeah. It's, what a world. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. But thank you for joining us today. And again, it's a treat to get to talk with you. And I'm so excited for you and so proud of you and, and all the work that you've put in. And the book is great. It's a really cool read. And it was very thought-provoking. And I, it made me think of changes I want to make in my life. I think I already live by many of those principles, but uh, there are lots of ways I can do it better and more joyfully. So thank you for the, the gift of all that. Thanks, Ted. And th- thanks, Lisa. Yeah, it's such a delight talking to you. And I, I, uh, yeah, I love what you're putting out into the world into such a form that people can, in, can enjoy them. Thank you. Um, and, and thanks uh, once again for, for having me on. It's always a really exciting conversation and uh and i really appreciate it and if jeff was here he would say the same thing so thank you so much Thank you everybody for joining us for this conversation uh thank you dan for joining us thank you jeff katzman for co-authoring that book with dan good stuff good stuff yeah absolutely i i i love talking with dan about mm-hmm. th- about this stuff and i really love the topic of this book and i'm just reminded of how i think one of the things that stuck with me is this idea of remembering that we are not observers in our life we're not like well i guess this is what's happening so i'll just you know, uh, be here for it, but rather that we we get to notice ourselves and how we're showing up to moments and make choices that 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 put in place really powerful and positive pieces. So mm-hmm. this idea that this idea that loneliness is one of the top threats to health, you know, is one of the, the biggest threats to health. It's like we should take connection as, as seriously as we take exercise or sure. eating well you know it's like and that we have choices to do that every day is just it's empowering to remember so cool I, I i love the notion of these like shifting circles of ensemble that i could be in an ensemble with a group of people at the store or with my team at work or with my family members and it's like these circles are always shifting but i can always make the choice to come back and rejoin them and that uh, this thing that we ended with of of um, bringing joy to that process, trying to intentionally bring joy to then create joy for other people. I, that really resonates for me too. So, yeah, if we can all be little joy factories, mm-hmm. I can't think of a better. I can't think of a better thing. Love it. Sign me up. I want to be a joy factory. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, and and one of the nice things about that is it doesn't even have to be mechanistic. Joy factories can, there doesn't have to be a, a an assembly line. All sorts of crazy stuff can go on. Uh, okay, people. Well, so hey, reminder: if you want to get a copy of Dan's book Ensemble using the power of improv and play to forge connections in a lonely world, you can go to northatlanticbooks.com, put in the code MONSTERBABY35 and you get 35% off. And that discount will expire September 30th of 2021. If you're listening after that date, yeah, you can go to Amazon, you can get the book, lots of other places, but uh, it's well worth your investment. Or support your local bookshop. Yeah, bookshop.org, check out, check it out. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of supporting the locals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I as well, I fell into the ease. I fell into the ease. Okay. <laughs> it's powerful. I'm a slave to convenience. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. We look forward to, to having you back next time. And be be stay safe and be well and uh, cultivate your joy factory. We love you all. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.